0: Hello and welcome to AGPHD Radio broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about biofuels on the show and we're also going to be taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show today at 844 844- 44 AG PhD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. It's been really nice because we can take emails obviously any time of day, and we definitely do. So I'm wondering what some of you are doing awake at three in the morning, but maybe you're already starting your day. Maybe you're just in a different time zone. But yeah, those three AM emails, it's always kind of interesting. What what's he doing up then? Or what's she doing up then? Anyway, back to our topic today, biofuels. Uh, I'll start with this, Brian. I was on a a conference today, or on a a video conference today, and they were talking about this new administration in Washington, D.C., and and how things are different from the Trump administration with Biden here. What? I've never heard that they're slightly different. (laughs) They're like, as you can imagine, (laughs) they had different positions on what they're doing with uh, biofuels. And... And I I thought this was kind of an interesting concept, and this was just the speaker's take on it, of course. And he said, I think Biden is short-term a very good friend of biofuels, long-term maybe not so much. And I thought, well, why on earth earth is that different? And he said, well, there's just such a push for electric cars and some of these different things that he thought their goal long-term was lower fuel usage. And if there's lower fuel usage, that doesn't necessarily play out well for biofuels if biofuels are only a percentage of the fuel. But uh, I guess what he didn't really address is, well, what are the opportunities for E30 or things like that going forward? Cause if of the fuel supply was ethanol instead of 10, even if the fuel supply was cut in half, it'd still be an increase for ethanol. But it'll be interesting to talk through some of these biofuels topics on today's program. we got some great guests coming up, and of course, Brandon and I have had a lot of dealings with biofuels, both using biodiesel through our tractors, through semi-trucks for many years, and also running E85 ethanol flex fuel cars from well, back 25 years ago now to today, running ethanol through our vehicles as well. And we, we just have a lot of history with that, a lot of experience with that. And it's something like for my own personal vehicle. Uh, I'll be running ethanol through every load that I can through my, my truck and thinking about, hey, I'm supporting corn farmers along the way. That's one thing. But I'm also getting better mileage and I've got cleaner emissions. And this is one of the things that gets a little murky in all the things you hear in the media. Well, we want to be carbon neutral and we want to reduce pollution. And when we've got a solution for some of that and some uh, something like biofuels that definitely take us further in that direction and we're not going that way, uh, it's just sad that politics ends up being a lot of talk sometimes and not a lot of action.
1: Yep, that's right. Follow the money. That's usually what you can do, and then usually things turn out that way. So good or bad, and whatever people say, just follow the money. But I got three quick points, and then we'll get to the egg PhD Mailbag. First of all, I don't understand some of these people that call themselves environmentalists and oppose bio- biofuel. It's like, what are you talking about? It's renewable. Uh, it It's amazing. And by the way, to have more biofuel, guess what you have to do? You have to produce more plants. What do plants do? They bring in carbon dioxide. That's the number one greenhouse gas. And they emit oxygen, which we need. Next thing is food versus fuel. That one drives me crazy. It should be food plus fuel. Farmers can do both. Farmers can easily do both. Don't forget that like with ethanol, all they do is take the starch out. They leave all the nutrition in for the livestock. So it all stays there. It didn't disappear. And if you want to replace the starch, it's not that tough. Just go uh, take some corn stalks or uh, soybean stubble or whatever, I I mean, replace the starch that way. It's pretty simple to do. Uh, And then the other thing is there are still some people that say, oh, you know, ethanol is hard on engines. I'm going, what? I don't think so. Engines today, modern engines, can easily run on 50% ethanol, and if you had just a couple of minor tweaks, they could run on almost 100% ethanol. So, there's no problem. So, anyway, yeah, it's just a lot of, there are a lot of misconceptions out there, and so we want to talk through some of that today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag.
0: It's the mailbag! All right, the first one is more of a comment than anything. This is from Dennis. He said, I love listening listen to your podcast every day on my way to work. I love your recommendations and how your insights sometimes differ from others. I'm a summer student working uh, towards being a full-time agronomist hey thanks dennis we appreciate that and you know what we do like to look at things a little bit differently and i I think sometimes in agriculture we fall into the trap of let's just do things the same way we did them last year or let's do them the same way our parents or our grandparents did and we just want to reconsider everything that we're doing and see hey in the light of today's commodity prices and economics do those things still make sense and technology,
1: So, yeah, and here's the other thing. Darren already brought up politics once or twice in his opening statement there. And I'll just say this. I don't care about Republican or Democrat or whatever political party it is. It doesn't matter to me. What I do care about is pro-ag. We are always going to be pro-ag. So anything that's going to help ag agriculture and by the way, what that means is not just oh the finances of agriculture. that also means safe food and water and helping improve the land for future generations. So that's what we're about here at AG PhD.
0: All right uh, got this one from Kyle in Northern Ohio and he said I'm wondering about putting on fall fertilizer in strip till. I've got a CEC in the 8 to 12 inch range or 8 to 12 range. We get 35 to 40 inches of rainfall here per year. And I'm wondering, should I save all of my nitrogen for spring with planting and side dress? Am I safe putting any of it out there in that fall band with my DAP?
1: Well, yeah, in terms of the nitrogen, I would probably say most of it needs to wait till spring. When you're as low as 8 CEC, that means that soil can only hold roughly... We'll call it 80 pounds of nitrogen. And that's if you're you going had to... You zero carryover. Right, you had zero left. So if you have even 40 pounds left, that means you can only put 40 pounds on. Plus, this depends on how early you're going to go in the fall. If you're going even relatively early in the fall, where you farm, there's still some more heat units left in the fall, some heat units in the spring before you plant. So I don't know. If I was putting any out, any out it'd be very, very little. Well, we'll talk about biofuels coming up right after this.
0: Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com.
3: When it comes to weed control,
2: our cards have always been on the table. Because we believe you deserve near-zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist weed control system. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk about biofuels on our show today, and we'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. And Brian, you know, in in past shows, we've talked about biofuels. We get so many emails the week after, so people that catch us uh, on a rerun of the show or on a podcast or something like that, it seems like this is a hot topic, and a lot of people want more information about what's going on with biofuels, and it's something that you can have first-hand experience with right now. Go buy some biofuels, run it through your tractor, run it through your car or truck, and Keep track of mileage and performance yourself. There, there is a lot of information out there uh, and millions and millions of miles of experience that, that are already accumulated. So it's not like this is something untested. But a lot of times, just like things on the farm, we say, you know, if you haven't tried it yourself, try it first. Try it on a small scale Keep some good records and see what you think, see what your results are, because it may not be the same as what you're hearing out
1: there. Back in 1996, I got a Ford Taurus, and I ran it for 100,000 miles over roughly five years, and I tracked the mileage and the fill-ups and everything else because this was one of the first E85 cars. Brian had
0: a neat little, one of those little notebooks you can fit in your pocket. And a lot of times you'll see farmers keeping records on those. And Brian used it all for his fuel up records. And he had a lot of detail there about, okay, when did I fuel up? How many gallons did he use? What, what's the mileage on the vehicle? And-
1: Yeah, I tracked, I tracked it for 100,000 miles. And what I found is- the E85 is within one mile per gallon of regular, just E0, okay? Uh, you know, one of the big things that we talk about quite often with these biofuels is just having the engine set right. So, if you look at the compression ratio, and I'm not, not going to get too technical here, but when you start looking at the compression ratio, if they would just literally change that one thing, you could make the ethanol run more efficiently. So, anyway, we'll talk about that more throughout the show.
0: All right, uh, let's uh, jump to the phone lines. Then we've got Steve Howell with us, who's with the National BioDiesel Board. Steve, thanks for joining us today.
4: My pleasure. I'm glad to be on. All
0: right, lots of questions around biofuels, and we wanted to we wanted to start here with biodiesel and talk about that just a little bit because I think ethanol seems to be a big lightning rod. I don't know if bio if biodiesel is quite as much of a lightning rod as ethanol, but can you talk to us a little about what's going on in the biodiesel industry?
4: Well, absolutely, and and biodiesel is, is kind of just a uh, work behind the scenes to just gradually build up a very promising new, you know, low carbon industry that's that's out there to help farmers and to make diesel engines burn cleaner. Um, biodiesel is a little different than ethanol. You know, with ethanol, you take the whole kernel of corn and you go into the ethanol plant. Uh, for biodiesel, we start out with oils and fats, so you need to to take a soybean or you need to take an animal or use cooking oil they need to extract the oil out of that. And we only use the oil portion for biodiesel. So soybeans are 80% protein, goes to feed humans and animals and only 20% oil. Uh, and we just take that oil portion. So that's, that's the big difference between, you know, biodiesel and ethanol is we just take a portion, you know, of that and, and we provide a viable outlet for the oil so that the protein portion can, uh, can be less expensive and, and can provide profit for farmers kind of across the board. So, um, of course, animals, you know, we, we grow animals for protein. Um, we use the the, the fats from, from animals uh, and the processing of animals uh, that, uh, you know, you're not supposed to eat uh, high saturated fats anymore eat anyway, even though I like a good steak myself and I, I like to leave the fat on my steaks, but uh, it makes a great feedstock for, for biodiesel. And the used cooking oils um, that, that uh, from McDonald's and Hardee's can also make uh, a, a good feedstock. So we, we use a variety of oils in, in our industry. Um, from the beginning of the, the recent movement in 1990, Um, Literally, the the body cylinder had zero volumes in 1990. Uh, And uh, this past year, we had about 3 billion gallons. Um, We use about 40 billion gallons of diesel fuel. So, you know, we're kind of in that 10% range. Um, And our goal as an industry is to go to 6 billion gallons in 2030 and then 15 billion in 2050. Um, So it's just an exciting time. Our industry has grown. um, And it's really grown because of soybean farmer checkoff investment in the research and development to make sure that this fuel works well in diesel engines. All
0: right, let's talk uh, about a few of the common questions that we get. One of the things, and you brought this up, that there's a variety of different oils and a variety of different sources that we are utilizing to make biodiesel. Talk about quality issues and quality monitoring and, and how consumers know they're getting a good product.
4: Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. In fact, for my uh, my role in the industry is I, I, I'm the chairman of the ASTM Biodiesel Task Force, which is the, the group that sets the fuel standards in the U.S. And we started that effort in 1993, and we have uh, our specifications have been in place um, since uh, the first version in 2001 and then another version in 2015. So a lot of that soybean farmer checkoff investment has been in the research and development to hone in on the standards and the specifications you know, we, we take the oil or fat and we react it with an alcohol, usually methanol. And it's really important that that reaction be done properly uh, and that you, you eliminate all the partial reaction products. You, you eliminate, you know, any of the excess alcohol there. Um, you, you remove the catalyst compounds. And over the years, we have honed in on what that fuel quality needs to be. And with today's fuel quality, today's fuel quality is, is absolutely phenomenal um you know we had some issues in the early days when folks weren't meeting the specification all the time especially in the 2000 uh mid 2000s in time frame around we the time we we switched to ultra low sulfur diesel fuel we had to change the specs for ultra low sulfur diesel um to to, uh, to to take the sulfur out of diesel and we had to change the specs for biodiesel you know at that same time sorry, so we've we've really improved the specifications and And in today's market, uh, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory uh, actually did a big survey, um, and our fuel quality is phenomenal. Uh, Virtually everybody's uh, meeting the specs and, in fact, exceeding the specs. Um, Our oxidation reserve parameters, the long-term storage of this fuel, um, is about three times better than what the spec is on average. Uh, And the metals that we have, the catalyst metals that can be in body solar are ten times lower than the specifications. So that fuel quality really bodes well. And, and we've set the specifications so that you can make it out of basically any conventional oil or fat. So as long as you meet those specifications, it'll work well, you know, in A diesel engine, you know, and blends up to 20%.
0: Yeah, we've had really good luck on our farm with tractors and, and with our semi-trucks and so forth. It's The performance has been fantastic. Our drivers have have noticed a difference and really enjoyed that. And our local fuel supplier, fortunately, has been all on board. So we've had local access to it, and that's been great. One of the questions uh, that we've gotten to, Steve, this here, I'll give you another tough one. Talk to us about subsidies. We get a lot of, especially non-farmers, saying, oh, your fuel sources are all so... Subsidized, not not really understanding what happens in the petroleum industry either. But talk to us about the history, just a little bit, with biodiesel and, and subsidies, and where that's at today.
4: Yeah, and so the the soybean farmers that started doing biodiesel in the get go really put all their effort into making sure that the product uh, met specifications that it works well in diesel engines. Um, and and when the the overall industry started doing renewable fuels, basically we just made sure that. As the as the policies were put into place to encourage renewable fuels, biodiesel was one of those options that are out there. So there's a renewable fuel standard um, that's out there, and biodiesel is an option on the diesel side to meet that renewable fuel standard, and it's a low cost option to meet that renewable fuel standard on a national basis for the for the diesel side of the puzzle. So so basically, what we've really done on the biodiesel um, uh, you know encouragement side is. Whatever policies get put in place to reduce carbon, or to provide reduce emissions, or to provide some other benefit, you know, we make sure that biodiesel is eligible, just like all the other fuels that are eligible out there. You know, at least for the diesel side of the equation. You know, we're we're just using diesel engines, so we're not used on the gasoline side. Um, so that's really kind of how we've approached that. Um, there are various state uh, entities, especially on the coasts, I would say more these days, that are doing low carbon fuel standards. So somebody's going to have to do something to, to hit these low carbon fuel standards, and biodiesel is the least cost way you know, to do that with a diesel fuel and a diesel engine.
0: Yeah, it's been a really nice thing. Like I mentioned that we've been using biodiesel on our farm for a number of years now, and the, the great thing that our our team likes is we don't have to change anything. We don't have to buy a different engine or anything like that. We can just use biodiesel, like you mentioned, blends up to B20 safely and no no issue whatsoever, and we've certainly used blends a lot higher than that, too. Steve, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Appreciate all the info. Thanks for what you do, and keep up the good work. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right
6: back.
0: If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at AgPHD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees, too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com.
1: Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new 3-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. That same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge 3-point-mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com.
2: Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucinto fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label
0: directions for use. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers and tons of entertainment, food and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com.
2: Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New
0: Farm, here to help. back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about biofuels on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 ag Our next guest probably doesn't need a whole big introduction. Uh, he's, he's an author. He wrote the book, Yes, Tin Lizzy Was an Alcoholic. He's also working on the Ethanol Papers, Volume 2, and he's a frequent guest, especially when we're talking about biofuels on our show, Mark Rausch. Mark, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Sure, guys. Thanks for having me back on. All right. we got a lot to talk about. And and, uh, whenever we talk about biofuels, we get a lot of feedback from some of our listeners. And we've already gotten some feedback about, well, why don't we just use electric cars instead of ethanol? Which one is actually better for the environment, or are they
3: both good? Well, they're both good. Um, But let me stop by saying that, you know, electric vehicles are the future. And the important thing to remember about that is that people have been saying that for the past 125 years. (laughs) But what has prevented electric vehicles from being the present and the future, the real future, is the limited technology and the limited ability to actually make it work. And that still exists to a large degree today. Now, by comparison, people have also said, that ethanol is the fuel of the future. But what stopped ethanol from being accepted was not technology or ability. What stopped it was that there was a an, an enormous tax placed on alcohol. And then there was something called prohibition, which actually made it illegal to produce and to sell alcohol in the United States. So those things killed the ability for ethanol. But the, the, the issue now is to say that if we want to have electric vehicles, we, we are not there. We are still not at the point where electric vehicles can be our primary vehicles. Two reasons for that. Number one is there's an enormous amount of vehicles already out there that are running on great internal combustion engines. The second reason is the technology is still not really there. By comparison, we have something called ethanol, which is perfect to run in every single internal combustion engine vehicle that is running can run on ethanol. Now, of course, uh, you know, uh, apropos to your last guest who was talking about biodiesel, Um, Obviously, diesel is not going to run on E85, but diesel can run, as you were talking about, on the biodiesel, and biodiesel can be made out of alcohol, out of ethanol. So that is there, and it's ready to go. Now, in terms of what's better for us right now, the issue seems to be that we have this concern over pollution right now. Whether you want to take pollution as, as being just, oh, it's just really bad, it makes things look ugly, and it gives us uh, respiratory illnesses and mental defects, or if we want to talk about it causing uh, catastrophic climate change. So if we have those, if we have those concerns, either one of those pollution concerns, well, ethanol can be used right now and where electric cannot solve the problem because we have too many internal combustion engine vehicles on the road and because electric isn't really ready for prime time yet, so the answer is let's use ethanol. And ethanol is, if a car was running on very high level blend, ethanol blends, that car, that internal combustion car, would be as clean as an electric vehicle.
0: Wow. Yeah, that is that is interesting when you look at, at that way. And I, I know you mentioned the pollution concern is really either a human health question or a climate change question. And certainly this this administration in Washington, D- 10 D.C. right now is really big on climate change. And, and this is a very big concern for us. Well, if we can reduce uh, the, the carbon footprint here with something that's already on the uh, that's available in millions and millions of vehicles, well, that can be a big deal. So when we had the uh, the COVID pandemic and there were less vehicles on the road, obviously that made a huge change out there. Did that catch anyone's attention?
3: Yes, there were a, a number of articles written about it um, and, and that it was better and, and it stands to reason because less vehicles. But is the moment, of course, that, we start driving again we're back to the same issue however in the long term what we really have to address is that you know a lot of the problems of the past of using gasoline particularly tetraethyl lead still is with us because the lead doesn't really go away it's really still along roadbeds and it gets when when the wind kicks up when car tires go over it it gets kicked back up. And so we're right back in the same game. And of course, once we start using cars again with um, mostly gasoline, then we're right back into adding big pollution back into the air and all the, arom- the so-called arom- aromatics, which, which are all poison and all that goes in. So we want to be able to use ethanol and to use much more ethanol
0: there uh, I, you mentioned there a lot of the active and or the other ingredients in gasoline are carcinogens and poisons why don't we talk more about that why why is everyone afraid to approach that topic
3: uh because it's uh so disconcerting i would guess you know back in the late 40s general motors uh oh sorry I, actually it was api did a study and they their study was to say what was you know is there is there any level of these ingredients that are acceptable for humans to to take inside? And the answer was no. It was zero. There was zero tolerance. Now that was in the late forties. So between that time and today they continue we're continuing to use those aromatics. And I'm, I'm not, by the way, I'm not talking about tetraethyl lead. I'm talking about the aromatics. So we, so if we have a situation where they knew, the oil industry knew that, that there was zero tolerance for any of that by humans, how could that be good today, right? And, but we're continuing to use it. And, and, and that's what we're struggling with and suffering from. And, and we need to get away one way or the other, whether it's you know whether you're looking at it, that it's oh, it's just nasty pollution that's going to cause respiratory illnesses, or the pollution is so severe that it's going to kill the entire uh, living, all living beings beings on the planet Earth. well, either way, then we have to stop using that. We, we have to switch to something. And if we're waiting 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 100 years, until we switch over to electric vehicles, well, then we might be dead by that time, right? So we we really should be adopting very high-level ethanol blends right away. And um, uh, like this afternoon would be a good time to start.
0: Well, there's, there's some different blends that are available. Obviously, uh, E10 has been out there, E85 has been out there, but we're starting to see more blender pumps, more E30 blends, E50 blends, those types of things, but the availability hasn't been great. Uh, ethanol fuels have been shut out of a lot of those markets. I want to talk a little bit more. We're, we're nearing our first break here. We've got about a, a minute left, and then I'd like to talk a little bit more about some of these public relation issues and just what's happening with ethanol over the years. If you've got time to to talk a little bit more, Mark. Yeah, sure. yeah, I do. <laughs> Great. We're, we're talking biofuels here on today's Ag PhD radio program. Talking a little about biodiesel already. We're talking about ethanol right now and electric vehicles. Uh, if you have questions for us, radio at agphd.com is a good way to send those in. Or you can always give us a phone call as well, 844 44 ag And obviously, if you want to talk about any agronomic topic, we will take those as well. Brandon and I are always happy to get to those. We've got a number that we'll get to A number of those questions we'll get to in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up in just a minute. We'll be right back with more of Mark Rausch and you're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
2: The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves clean-out of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter-turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, insulation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at Pentair.com slash Hypro. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the end Zone Fan Control System from farm Shop MFG. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit FarmShopMFG.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, You earn $3 per acre in cash back rewards, cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and
0: conditions for full details. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't wanna miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on The Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com.
2: When it comes to soybean diseases, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on white mold and other yield-robbing diseases with Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one, nearly twice as fast as the next leading competitor. For more information, visit ApproachPrima.Corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions.
0: If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at AgPHD PhD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an AGPHD PhD Young Farmer's Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees
5: too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmer's Field Day, visit agphd.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio talking biofuels here in the Morton studio. And we've got our friend Mark Rausch on with us talking about that. Mark, uh, the question came in about the ethanol industry hasn't necessarily done the best job of promoting and seems to be a lot more reactive than proactive. Uh, do you have any
3: ideas about that or any
0: thoughts about that?
3: Yes, Um We think that unfortunately the advocacy groups have done a very poor job. Um, They are doing nothing to really go to the public, to go to the consumers and to go to the automotive influencers. They've been around a long time. Um, A few months ago, there was a story on a website called the Detroit Bureau that's uh, run by a very well-known automotive journalist by the name of Paul Eisenstein, and Paul and his guys are 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 great car guys. They're really good automotive journalists, and they did a story that was anti-ethanol, and 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 it just it was wrong, right in everything that they did. So, my business partner wrote a. Um, a comment to them, you know, an editorial comment, and they wrote back and they said, well, "The time has passed, right? Ethanol, it's 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 gone past." And to us, that was the perfect example of not only important influences not understanding what ethanol is all about. They thought that the time has passed, right? That that well, no, now we're on to EVs. Well, that's. None of that is correct. And so I spent a fair amount of time addressing what they had claimed and we went back and forth and and so on. But as I say, that was a, a perfect example of how little the information has come down about ethanol to important influences in the automotive world. And automotive is what ethanol fuel is all about right if you if you take away if you discount automobiles then uh, say goodbye to ethanol fuel so and so if if these kind of guys are not getting it and if they're not getting the information then something is really wrong and and the automo and the ethanol advocacy groups just have not been doing a very good job on this so we have been wanting to uh, go out and do this. We've made some suggestions and plans, but it seems to be that that they really just want to focus on trying to bludgeon politicians. Uh, but politicians, the the way to get to politicians is through the constituency. And uh, you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with someone from. Uh, a very large ethanol group not too long ago who told me about a dinner that he went to with a very important senator who was against ethanol and they spent 2 or 3 hours talking about ethanol at the end of all of the time the senator said to him well it sounds really good now you just have to convince 400,000 of my constituents right and and he said if you could do that then I'll I'll back it so so that's our point, that, we, that that's where we have to go. That's where the information has to go. And it just has, it, it's not gone there. They haven't done anything. There are car shows, uh, of course, not in the last year, not a lot of car shows, but there are car shows and we're gearing up again. And there's no presence by ethanol at any of these shows. There are meetings on a regular basis with automotive journalists all over the country. And, and there's opportunities to be presenting the story about ethanol. But ethanol never shows up to do that. And, and that's, those kinds of things have to change. And so that would be our big uh, push towards that. We have a program that we developed called NEAT, which is the National Ethanol Action Team. And, and that would be to help to do that. But so far, you know, we're we're not stakeholders. We don't make any money on selling ethanol. We don't uh, make money on selling any fuels, so we can't really do the thing by ourselves. We need some help. Um, so we've been trying to to push that a little bit.
0: You know, when I look at ethanol, it it just seems to be they're priced cheap and it's getting blended with fuel that's higher priced when you see the price of ethanol and mm-hmm. then the price that you see blends getting sold at the the fuel suppliers are definitely making money off ethanol does the ethanol industry just need to increase their price to the fuel suppliers and take some of that some of that margin out and use some of that margin for marketing is it as simple as that
3: well i i think that they're doing that because they they're providing money to the advocacy groups, right? So, so the dollars are there, but it's just being spent maybe in the wrong places. Um, obviously, if they made more money, if, if they charge more, obviously, they, would, they may have more money to uh, spend, or if there were higher blend levels, then that would be helpful because then they would be selling more ethanol. So either way, that could help. Um, I guess another way would be if ethanol distilleries were able to sell um right- you know right at right at their facility i I think that that's done in a few places in the midwest it, it's not done here in california there's there are no distilleries that I know of where you can pull up and say uh you know, give me a couple of gallons of uh
1: E one hundred, right, right, and,
3: and you know, just go from there. But um, that might help because it might give them more money. But they have to know to do that, and 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 the the farmers, the distillers, are not being, in in our opinion, not being directed in the in the the proper way where the money should be spent. I think again, I think they're spending too much on um, lobbying efforts to just try to bludgeon politicians, and and the way to do that is uh, there needs to be some, some backup to that. They need to be hearing from their constituency that's saying, hey, we want this, we want this, we want this, but nobody's out there telling them and explaining this. You know, we're still answering the same silly myths and questions and complaints that ethanol is going to damage an engine or, or yeah. melt rubber or melt plastic. And, and you and know, we actually that got nonsense. that
0: question, Mark. Uh, Chuck had just called in and said, please have Mark talk about that. What's being said about ethanol being hard on engines? Is there truth to it, or, or how do we combat that?
3: <clears throat> there is no truth to it. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> let's take, the, let's take the, the, the other side of it. The moment, from the moment you start an engine you start to um, destroy the engine, right? It starts, it starts to, to hurt the engine because as soon as you put a moving part into play, it starts to degrade that part. But is ethanol worse than gasoline? No, ethanol is compatible with more types of metals, plastics and rubbers than gasoline or any of the aromatics. Um, and that is uh, xylene, toluene, and benzene. So ethanol is better. Ethanol cleans engines. Ethanol doesn't hurt engines. Um, and it certainly doesn't melt rubber or plastic and those kinds of things. And the way you know that, the easiest way you know that, I, I think I've said this to you on previous shows, the, the best way to tell this is you go into your bathroom and almost everybody in the world has rubbing alcohol and it's in a plastic bottle. And it's very high level, right? It'll be seventy percent alcohol or ninety percent or something like that. And 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 you've had that bottle in your bathroom for oh, two years, three years, five years, and there's nothing wrong with the bottle. The plastic hasn't melted. So there's nothing wrong, right? It's it's perfect. <laughs> yep, and and exactly. if you use it If you use it five years later, do you say, does anybody worry to say, oh, it's not going to be the same strength that it was, and it's not going to have the same uh, uh, antiseptic qualities? No, it's exactly what it was when you bought it. So... It's, it's great. That's a, that's a good, that's a good argument,
0: and, and I think just about everybody could say, oh, yeah, I can just go right in my uh, bathroom and, and see that myself. Uh, Mark, you've been so generous with your time. If you have more time, we'd love to talk to you about what your p- current project you're working on is as well. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
2: Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from Ag Biome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more.
0: If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at AgPHD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an AgPHD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com.
5: A history of success means proven performance, but let's call performance what it is, profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of Decal Brand Corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support, let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how Decal Brand Corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
2: If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thank you for joining us today, talking biofuels on today's program. We've had a number of questions come in around biofuels, and Mark Roush has been kind enough to be answering a lot of these questions. But, but Mark, I wanted to ask you a question just about a project that you're working on. Talk to us about uh, you're you're already an author. You wrote the book. Yes, Tin Lizzie was an alcoholic, among many other things that you've authored. But what what's going on with the ethanol papers volume two? How are you coming on that, and and what should we look for?
3: Well, ethanol uh, the ethanol papers volume one uh, left off basically in about uh, the end of 2018. It's a it's more or less a compilation of about 12 to 15 years worth of articles and editorials and reports that I had written with some updating to it but between 2018 and today a lot more things have happened a lot more um, i've written a lot more articles i've i've engaged in a couple of debates with uh, the so-called energy experts and um and so this volume two will include that volume two will also include the test that i did early last year that that shows, by the way, how ethanol does not melt rubber and does not uh, suck water out of the air. I've written about this many times, and I've written about it uh, you know, from, from a basis of, of um, just o- over the years' observation and, re- and various reports. But for the first time, I did a time-lapse uh, video that shows a uh, container that has uh, two hundred proof alcohol, right? So it's complete. It's, it's the highest you could get and and to show that it doesn't suck water out of the at, out of the atmosphere. And so it sits for about fourteen hours, and it loses a little bit of of the of its level, a tiny bit because of evaporation. but if it really sucked any water out of the air, it wouldn't, the level wouldn't go down, it would stay the same or it would increase, but it doesn't do that. It, so it's, it shows that that doesn't happen. Also, um, sitting right next to it is the plastic bottle that contains the 200 proof ethanol and the bottle is in perfect condition. It's not, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't melt, it doesn't, it doesn't wilt uh, or anything like that. It doesn't deform because of the of the plastic so anyway so so volume two will include things like that and then a lot more updates as to as to just where we are in terms of some new studies that have come out to again show that ethanol is how clean it is how clean the emissions are um, and and various reports that set up this the scenario to show that actually a car running on uh, an internal combustion engine vehicle running on ethanol would be as clean in its life cycle as an electric vehicle. Because with electric vehicles, part of, obviously it's not putting out emissions, but in order to get to the point of making the electric vehicle and making the batteries that are required and making the electricity that's required to charge all of those things add great emissions so ethanol is 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 virtually the same and ethanol is now ethanol can be used in as i say in every internal combustion engine vehicle that's on the road now so so even if it takes 15 years 20 years 50 years 100 years for electric vehicles to really come into play we would have something that is a clean burning fuel.
0: It is very interesting a lot of these myths that are out there and and miss these pieces of misinformation that get spread around and you're right uh, we're talking with Mark Roush that he, we just aren't doing a good enough job fighting against some of those things and answering all those claims it takes a lot of money it takes a lot of effort and and investing the dollars in the right and the effort in the right places is really important. Mark, you've been so generous with your time. Where can our listeners find more information that you're putting out?
3: Well, of course, on theautochannel.com. That's our um, website. And we have uh, uh, something over a million pages of content. We have over 5,000 different types of videos, a couple thousand audio programs as well. And uh, so theautochannel.com, it's uh, the world's oldest and largest automotive information resource on the Internet.
0: Wow. That is, that is impressive. That is a lot of content. And I know Brian and I have <laughs> signed up on, on uh, mailing us just to get more information emailed to us as well. Uh, Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again. Sure. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Let's uh, jump to an agronomic question here. we got Mike in West Virginia with a question on boron. Mike, how you doing?
6: I'm doing good. How are you guys?
0: Now we're doing pretty well. What you got going with boron?
6: Well, I'm always a little bit low on boron, and I uh, had originally planned on adding some while I was side dressing, and the uh, person I got the boron from said, are you going to be post posting your corn? and uh, which I am and he said well why don't you just mix it that way and I know you guys have foliar feeded some so on which do you think would be the most effective way either I'm I'm using a side dressing rig that you know we're injecting the nitrogen down in a slot uh, mix it in with that or spray it over the top with my post-emerge.
1: Uh, Mike, if you want to run just a low rate of boron, it's fine to go foliar. We don't have a big problem with that. If you wanted to put a lot of boron on, that's where you have to inject it. So I'll just give you the example on our farm. When we're talking about, let's say, a quart, uh, maybe two quarts of product, and there are some people who have gone clear up to a gallon worth of a liquid boron product, but usually a quart to two quarts. It's just fine. You can mix it in with other things typically. I'm not saying in all cases, but in most cases, and you don't have excessive leaf burn or anything like that. You do raise the level inside that plant pretty quickly. So that's a big advantage, but you just can't put a massive amount on. So on the flip side, if you said, well, you know, I'm trying to build my soil test levels and I want to have enough for the whole season and I don't have a lot right now. So I want to put A whole pound and a half of actual boron out there we'd tell you over the top that's pretty risky I mean just in a foliar spray now if it was through a pivot or something that'd be a little different because you'd wash it off the plant right away but if we're talking lots of boron that's where we would typically say inject it with your nitrogen sulfur whatever you're doing for a side dress okay well
6: I'm only putting on a quarter to a half a pound so either Either way would work, but I was just wondering if there's a little bit more efficacy foliar feeding it versus knifing it, you know, in between the rows.
1: Well, the the other, okay, so I already said you'll get faster uptake, intake, faster reaction in the plant when you go foliar. The disadvantage is it's only going to stay in the plant so long. You can't pump in enough for the whole season or anything like that in one shot so that's where putting some in the ground would help you for later on in the year where boron is needed the most is right around tasseling so if you are getting relatively yep. close to tasseling then we would say hey foliar is probably a pretty good way to go and you just call it good from there if you're like on our farm where we're at v6 right now we're nowhere near tasseling so in my case if i wanted to do something today i'm probably ahead to put it in the soil
6: okay righty. and enjoyed that segment on the ethanol thing by the way that was good
1: yeah, Mark Roush, if you've never read his stuff before, he is awesome. He goes he he can go through the whole history of everything, even back to prohibition where basically Rockefeller spent the money to fund prohibition just so he could kick ethanol out as being a competitor to his gasoline. So, super interesting stuff. Yeah, he's it it's a great read. We love having Mark on the show. Hey, Mike, great talking to you. Good luck out there. Yeah. Thank you. You bet.
0: Hey Brian, real quick question that came in. Uh, Dry weather, we got a lot of volunteer corn out there. There's a lot of different spray additives out there. Our dealer talks about crop oil being very important. Why is that so?
1: Because you want to penetrate through the thick wax that gets on the leaves when it's hot and dry. The leaves will develop a waxy cuticle to help prevent moisture loss when it's hot and dry. So if it just turned hot and dry, then it's not as big a deal. But if it's been hot and dry for a while, that's where it's nice to get the crop oil to penetrate through that to deliver the volunteer corn killer into the volunteer corn better.
0: As weather conditions change, recommendations should be changing on your farm as well. This is just one example of many. We'll be talking about that all through the summer here on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.